It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's a new episode with the Murder Bucket Podcast. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. It's a mini episode night, and it's also Valentine's Day. So, of course, we have a Valentine's Day themed crime. So, let's go ahead and get started. Between 1924 and 1930, Chicago, Illinois became the hotspot for gang activity in the country. This all started when the United States government banned the sale, distribution, and consumption of alcohol. This led to the increased earnings of American gangsters through bootlegging and speakeasies, as well as gambling and prostitution. In 1929, there were two major gangs that were constantly fighting for control of the city. The Irish Northsiders, led by George Moran, and the Italian Chicago Outfits, led by Al Capone. George Moran was born in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1893. He left school at the age of 18 and joined a local juvenile gang. Before he turned 21, he had been jailed three times. He then moved to Chicago and married twice and had one child. Eventually, he was convicted of robbery and conspiracy to counterfeit checks and cash. He spent 10 years at the Ohio Penitentiary and just a few months at Leavenworth Federal Prison before he died of lung cancer on February 25, 1957, at the age of 63. Al Capone was born in New York, New York in 1899. He was expelled from school at the age of 14 after hitting a female teacher in the face. This resulted in him working odd jobs around Brooklyn. He played semi-professional baseball between 1916 and 1918. He married May Colin in 1918 and had a son the same year. He quickly became involved in small-time gangs before moving to Chicago. There, he became a crime boss in 1925, but it didn't last long. Just seven years later, in 1932, he went to prison at the age of 33 after being convicted on five counts of tax evasion and spent 11 years in prison. He started out at Atlanta U.S. Penitentiary and then was moved to Alcatraz in 1934. He was then moved to the Federal Correctional Institute at Terminal Island in California. He was paroled on November 16, 1939. He suffered a stroke on January 21, 1947, then suffered a heart attack on January 22nd, and died of heart failure on January 25th at the age of 48. On the morning of Valentine's Day in 1929, two men that were dressed as police officers and two men who were dressed in civilian clothes entered a garage in the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago where George Moran ran his bootlegging operations out of. All four men came armed with shotguns and machine guns. Inside, there were six members of the Irish Northsiders and one civilian who liked having gangster friends. All seven men were lined up against the wall with their backs to the intruders. The four intruders opened fire. They continued to fire even after all seven men hit the floor. Two shotgun blasts obliterated the faces of two men. This all happened within a matter of minutes. 
and to make everything seem fine, the two men who were dressed in civilian clothes came out of the garage with their hands up while the two officers led them out. When Chicago police arrived at the scene, they found Frank Gusenberg still alive. He was taken to the hospital where he was stabilized after being shot 14 times. When police attempted to question him, he stated that he wasn't shot. He died three hours later. The men who were killed were Peter Gusenberg, Frank Gusenberg, Albert Chachalek, Adam Hager, Reinhard Schwimmer, Albert Winshank, and John May. The massacre set off a public outcry. This led to Al Capone being summoned to testify before a Chicago grand jury on charges of federal prohibition violations. According to several articles, it was well known that George Morin was stealing Al Capone's Detroit-based liquor shipments, so police began to focus their attention on Detroit's Jewish Purple Gang. Almost a week after the massacre, on February 22nd, there was a fire at a garage where police found a 1927 Cadillac sedan inside that was disassembled and partially burned. Police trace the engine number to a dealer who states that he sold the car to a man named James Morton. The garage was rented by a man named Frank Roger. The address that Frank gave the landlord was an address of a cafe that was owned by a former gangster with ties to Al Capone. Police weren't able to find any information into these two men, but had a lead on the killers. They announced that they suspected John Scalise, Albert Anselmi, Jack McGurin, and Frank Rio were the men involved in the massacre. Jack and John were arrested and charged with the murders, but before either one could be convicted, John was killed in 1929. The charges against Jack were dropped due to the lack of evidence. Many mobsters have been named as a part of the Valentine's Day hit team. In 1995, Chicago criminologist Arthur Bilek, who had researched the massacre through FBI files and court transcripts for 30 years, named the participants in the massacres to have been Jack McGurn, who assembled the murder team that included lookouts Brian Bolton, Jimmy Morin, and Jimmy McCreason. The garage where the massacre happened was demolished in 1967, and the site is now a parking lot for a nursing home. The bricks of the north wall against which the victims were shot were purchased by a Canadian businessman. For many years, they were displayed in various crime-related novelty displays. Many of them were later sold individually, and the remainder are now owned by the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. This event shows up several times in pop culture, but we're only going to name a handful of them, as this is a mini-episode. The first one is a 1959 film directed by Richard Wilson titled Al Capone. Then a 1967 film directed by Roger Corman titled The St. Valentine's Day Massacre. There was the 1987 film directed by Brian D. Palma called The Untouchables that briefly mentions the massacre. A 1932 gangster film that was directed by Howard Hawks called Scarface is loosely based on the life of Al Capone and depicts a version of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. A 1959 comedy directed by Billy Wilder titled Some Like It Hot 
Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon play characters on the run after witnessing the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And finally, Oscar, which is a comedy film directed by John Landis in which Sylvester Stallone plays a character that implies to have been at the massacre. And that concludes tonight's mini-episode. I hope you had a wonderful Valentine's Day, and if you had no one to share it with, I hope that you at least treated yourself and told yourself how absolutely wonderful you are. Have a great night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.